Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. A little later in the show, we're going to have a conversation about civility. Civility the word and civility the concept. Think of the things that we are talking about with one another right now, about how we talk to one another about the things that are going on in this country. We're going to examine how we should be thinking about those things and what that word, civility, actually means. Is it uh, an expectation about how we deal with each other, or is it a really manipulative term used by those in power to keep power and to keep those without power from speaking out too strongly on their own behalf. You're going to want to stay tuned to that conversation. We're going to have two really great representatives of both sides of that argument with us to talk about it. And of course, we're going to want to hear from you about how you think about the way we debate and discuss issues in our country. But up front today, big news at the U.S. Supreme Court yesterday. In a 5-4 ruling, the justices upheld President Trump's travel ban for several majority Muslim countries. The court said the president has wide authority to make these kinds of decisions regarding national security. And it ignored all of these really garish signals that the president himself has been sending about his travel ban. In particular, his really angry and bigoted words about Muslim immigrants. The dissenters on the court likened yesterday's ruling to Korematsu, a now widely discredited ruling that supported the detention of Japanese Americans during World War II. Joining us now to talk more about this ruling and what it means is Richard Primus. He's a constitutional law expert and professor at the University of Michigan Law School. Richard, welcome to Detroit Today. Happy to be here. Yeah. So uh, let's start uh, with your reaction uh, to this ruling, did the majority of the court get it right, or did the do the, 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 the dissenters uh, win the day here? Well, the dissenters have it right. Um, if you read the majority opinion by Chief Justice John Roberts, he says that the question is: Yes, I I know that the president said all sorts of bigoted things. And maybe even those were his motives. Mm -hmm. But the president has wide authority. And the question is, could we understand this order in some way other than as a manifestation of bigotry? And he concludes, well, I think we can. But if you read the dissent by Justice Sotomayor, where she lays out the history of this particular policy in greater depth, it's just very hard to understand this ruling in any way that would make you think that it would exist if the president were not a bigot. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that the, I don't think that the ruling is unexpected, um, but I think that uh, the justices in the majority will, in, in time, in the judgment of history, come to be seen as having made a bad mistake. Yeah. Uh, will they be compared to the Korematsu? Court, for instance, which uh, is now really reviled in in uh, in modern context for what it did uh, during World War II. Well, they're already compared to the Korematsu Court. Yeah. Right? That was discussed yesterday. I think you know, it's useful to to separate carefully a few different ways that they're being compared to the Korematsu Court because mm -hmm. there are some things that are the same and there are some things that are different. That are different, sure. Right. So. Um, so first, important differences, right? Things that the majority justices have on their side. 
it's, it's not the case that the moral issue in Korematsu is exactly the same as the moral issue in the travel ban. Mm-hmm. Um, one is about uh, keeping people out of the country, and the other is about taking people who are actually in the country, including citizens, and locking them up in internment camps. And there's a moral difference between those things. Yes. Right? Um, what's similar is that in each case, there's a policy that the president seeks to justify on the basis of a national security claim. And the policy really isn't justified on the basis of a national security claim. It's pretty clear, if you look at it, Mm -hmm. that what actually motivates the policy is uh, a, a set of bigoted, prejudiced ideas about an unpopular minority group. And that's what the dissent says is the parallel Mm -hmm. between this case and Korematsu. Um, And I think they're clearly right about that. The the Chief Justice um, says, uh, no, this has uh, nothing to do with Korematsu. This isn't like that. And of course, we all say that Korematsu is bad. But here's the danger. When there's something that happened in the past Mm -hmm. that everyone agrees is shameful, it's too easy to look back at that thing and say, well, the thing that's happening now isn't just like that. So the thing that's happening now is okay. Right. Um, Think about about this analogy. During Jim Crow segregation, a lot of people said, look, it's not slavery. Right. And that was true. Right? It wasn't the same as slavery, and there are moral differences between Jim Crow segregation and slavery. It's just a huge mistake to think that that means that Jim Crow segregation was acceptable. And it's much easier to say that you condemn something that everyone has condemned for decades than it is to look around your present and say, you know what, this thing is no good either. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I wonder what you make of... The court's long, long struggle with the idea of personhood and the sort of comparative personhood that that I think is asked of the court to make uh, over time. Uh, the idea that these were not U.S. citizens, for, for starters, the idea that these were people who were identified by the person who enacted the policy uh, according to their religion and their religious beliefs. Um, what is the court saying about that personhood and how it must be respected by deferring to the president here? So I think the court is um, uncomfortable with the position that it has created for itself here. So five justices say, look, the president has wide authority in national security matters, and we're going to bend over backwards to read his policy as legitimate for that reason. But they recognize that in doing this, they are giving a pass to a president whose views on the issue are pretty unsavory. Mm-hmm. The, the majority opinion, which is for all five justices in the majority, yes. um, goes out of its way um, First of all, not it, it, it doesn't ignore the president's uh, anti-Muslim statements. It spends a bunch of time acknowledging them. And it even says, 
uh, you know, through history, presidents have used the power of the bully pulpit to support constitutional values like freedom of religion. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, presidents have performed unevenly in this task, which is their signal that, like, even though we're upholding this, we don't want you to think that we think it's okay. Justice Kennedy, in a short concurrence, goes even farther. Mm -hmm. He writes separately to say, look, sometimes there are things that are unconstitutional, that are deep and worrisome threats to the government's commitment to constitutional liberties that courts just can't fix. We aren't the institution that can fix this. And, uh, which is his way of saying, we think, I think at least, that what the president has done here is unconstitutional. But we, the court, are not going to remedy it. We don't have the institutional heft to fight against the president on these grounds. That's a counterintuitive message to a lot of Americans who are accustomed to thinking of the court as the fully empowered whistleblower on constitutional issues. But it's something that judges have warned about for a long time. Yeah. Um, the, the justice who wrote the most famous dissent in Korematsu itself, the great Robert Jackson, Jackson sure. right, uh, also wrote, courts can put up some resistance to abusive presidents. But in the face of a truly abusive president, a president who is really bent on doing damage to the constitutional order, the courts don't really have the muscle to stop it. The muscle must come from Congress responding to an energized electorate. And that's essentially what Justice Kennedy was enacting uh, yesterday. The courts are not going to be the solution to the problem. Yeah. And the the, the problem with that, I think uh, there are many problems with that uh, for for starters. But one of the, the, the core problems, I think, is that the Constitution does give an incredible amount of deference to the executive to make these kinds of decisions. And so I think there would be a pretty strong question about whether Congress can actually stand up to the executive in this in this role. Well, I'm not sure about that. That is to say, if Congress wanted to, it has lots of tools that it can use to bring pressure on the president. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the the policy that was upheld yesterday is a policy that was held upheld partly on the theory that the president was author, was exercising authority given by Congress. Congress can revoke that authority. That's right. Congress can say, uh, Mr. President, if you're doing this, we're not going to confirm your appointees. Uh, we're not going to fund your projects. Hmm. Um, you know, in the last ditch, there's impeachment. There are lots of tools um, that Congress has. Um, the question is, does Congress want to? Right. 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 Um, the, the constitutional ma- machinery does not run itself. It's not automatic. It needs people to fulfill the roles that make the constitutional system work properly. So the, the Constitution gives the president broad authority on the assumption that presidents will be basically reasonable people, right, who will try to act responsibly. And it gives Congress the power to check the president on the theory that voters will elect representatives to Congress who will do their jobs responsibly. If the president doesn't do his job responsibly, 
and the voters don't insist on a Congress that holds the president to account, there's no magic in the machine right, that will automatically that make things these, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Richard Primus. He's a constitutional law expert and professor at the University of Michigan Law School. We're talking about yesterday's ruling from the Supreme Court that upholds Donald Trump's ban on travel from certain Muslim countries. What do you think of uh, that decision? Uh, will you or someone you know be affected by this ruling? What do you think this will mean for our country and American society, as well as for the relationship between our branches of government? If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. So that's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation, especially we want to hear from folks who are affected by this. Uh, when this travel ban was announced, we did a lot of work here on the program uh, trying to give voice to the people who are directly affected by this or whose families uh, are affected by this. We would love to hear from those folks again today now that uh, the Supreme Court says the travel ban can go forward uh, without interference uh, from uh, from uh, the courts. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number. Um, uh, Richard, I, I, I wonder what you think this means to the future of, of the court. You know, Justice uh, Chief Justice John Roberts has uh, has said a lot about what role he thinks the court should be playing and that it that he wanted it to play a smaller role, right? He didn't like uh, the the sort of uh, uh, veering, I guess, into the political lanes that he saw uh, from the court before before he got there. This seems to me, um, while it's a restrained opinion in the sense that it is uh, giving great leeway to the executive branch, it, it does because of. Uh, the political nature of what we're talking about, it does catapult the court back into that sort of spotlight that I think the chief probably is not uh, thrilled about. I, I wonder what you make of, of that tension. So I think that's probably right that he's not thrilled about it. Right? The opinion clearly is written by someone who wishes he weren't there at all. Sure, sure. Um, the court can't really avoid ruling in cases that have big political valence. Mm -hmm. um, what the court can do is choose whether its rulings mostly let the decisions of other governmental bodies stand, right, or mostly second-guess those rulings and replace them with the court's own judgments. Yeah. The, the, the ruling on the travel ban is one that lets someone else's judgment stand, right? Um, but the court, even under Justice Roberts, uh, isn't really on balance tending more in that direction than the court before him. Right? Mm -hmm. We can think of lots of examples of cases where the court has ruled mm -hmm. to strike down decisions made by other branches of government in ways that are quite consequential. Right? One of the more prominent, for example, being the Citizens United case sure. on campaign finance. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, the the campaign finance area is one where Congress had taken the pretty extraordinary step 
of imposing some real limits on itself in order to try to clean up the political process. And the court intervened, right, and second-guessed Congress and said, no, um, you can't do that, right, and, uh, you know, and, and the results will be what they will. So I, I think that the Chief Justice does say, and I think sincerely, that he would like to reduce the temperature. Mm-hmm. The decisions that the court makes are not noticeably more restrained today mm. than they were 10 or 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Uh, let's go to Pam in Gross Point. Pam, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, Steve. Hi. Um, I have one question. Uh-huh. If the court um, upheld the ban based on pr- the president's broad leeway to, uh, for national security reasons, doesn't doesn't he have to prove that? Or do they, does he just say national security and nobody can come in if I don't want them to? Sure. You know, what? where's the proof that the people from these particular countries are a national security threat? Right. Pam, uh, thanks very much for the call and the, and yep. the really great question. Uh, uh, Richard, I guess that gets to the question of a limiting principle here, right? What is the limit yeah, of presidential I mean, power? It, it's exactly the right question. Um, the... Opinion seems to say that the only limit is whether the discriminatory aspect of the policy is written into the words of the policy. Right? That is to say, if the policy said no Muslims, mm-hmm. that might be a problem. But if they hide it just a little, right, um, so that everyone knows what it's really about, but they don't come out and say so, um, that seems to be something that will get a pass. Uh, the chief justice says the question ultimately isn't whether the things that the president said tell us his real intent. The question is, can we imagine this policy as reasonably coming out of a permissible intent, right. which is really a way of saying we're not going to make the president prove that uh, that this is really a matter of national security necessity. And that is a story that we saw in Korematsu. Mm-hmm. In fact, in mm-hmm. Korematsu, many years after the decision was issued, uh, it was discovered that the government had actually withheld from the court information that affirmatively undermined the national security claim. And there's very good reason to think that the same thing happened in this case. As a bunch of people have pointed out, the government told the court that there have been serious review processes to establish Mm -hmm. that the travel ban is tailored for important national security purposes, but the government won't share that information with the court. And a number of people have raised questions about whether that information can really exist in the way that the government claims. Sure, sure. Uh, Pam, thanks again for the call and the really great question. Let's go to Ali in Livonia. Ali, welcome to Detroit Today. Oh, thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate it. Here. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to give my quick input here regarding this matter. Um, I really believe the reason that's happening is for the election purposes for the next four years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And those countries that ban, if you look at their economic uh, 
relation with the United States, it's nothing. It's zero. There is no relationship, like uh, economic-wise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, second, we know the most country that produced terrorists that they never banned that country. <laughs> so Saudi I really Arabia. believe yeah. uh, it's for election purposes. Hmm. Uh, Alid, uh, I, I can't say I disagree with your analysis there. Uh, uh, there are a lot of things about this policy that don't make a lot of sense. And, and one of them that you point out is this difference between the countries that are on the list and some other countries uh, that didn't make it. Uh, although the court seems to be able to be saying that uh, the president is able to make that determination uh, on his own. Uh, your point about elections, though, is is the most important point, the idea that the people, the people of this country, actually have the most power to make a difference here. Uh, Ali, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Let's go to Teresa in Detroit. Teresa, welcome to Detroit today. Hi. That ruling yesterday scares me to death. Hmm. And the only hope I have is Sotomayor's retort. When when she she did not agree with mm-hmm. them, mm-hmm. because those that Republican Party has tried to stack the court for years and years and years, and they've done it, and they've they've been successful as we saw yesterday, mm-hmm. and it is extremely scary. I just can't wait until they rescind the Emancipation Proclamation. <laughs> uh, Teresa, let's hope that doesn't happen. Uh, but, but it can. But, but, look what's going on now. Sure, sure. I I, I really appreciate the call and the comments, uh, Richard Primus. I'm I'm curious uh, about. Uh, uh, this this idea that um, this is tied so closely to the obstruction that that preserved the open court seat for Donald Trump in the first place. I mean, there has been uh, quite a bit made of that over the last twenty four hours as well. I can't think really of uh, another instance in our history where that kind of political maneuvering uh, so quickly resulted in a favorable ruling uh, that that um, that a president got to, to sort of secure through his own appointment. So it's clearly right and clearly very important. Right? That is to say, when the Republican Senate blocked President Obama from appointing a justice to an open Supreme Court seat, mm-hmm. they preserved Republican control of the Supreme Court. There's been a Republican majority on the Supreme Court at all times since the early 1970s, unbroken since the early 1970s. Um, And that could have changed under Obama, and the Republican Senate refused to let Obama nominate um, a justice. Mm -hmm. And that move is a kind of hardball that is a real threat to the constitutional system. Mm -hmm. It's not unprecedented in American history for that kind of hardball to be played. In the 19th century, there are a number of things that I can point to that look like that kind of hardball, where the idea is, we will not let you take your turn. We will understand our political opponents, not as people who get to take their turns and get to notch their wins, but as people to, who we must prevent from exercising power at all costs, no matter what. There were instances of things like that in American history in the 19th century. But we've got to remember, American history in the 19th century included a big civil war. 
Right. Right. And say um, the place where that kind of attitude leads is not a good place. And for a hundred years, let's say from the 1890s forward, um, after the dust settled after the Civil War, American politics settled into a model where two parties were competing with each other. Yes. And there were important differences between the parties, and it was important to each party to win elections and not to lose them. But they mostly saw each other as legitimate rivals rather than as threats to the republic who must be prevented at all costs from exercising power. Yes. As long as that's your view, you can keep the game going, right? Because like, you're willing to take some losses on the theory that the other side will also be willing to take its losses, and you will take turns, and everyone will get some of what they want, and no one will get anything. Right? That's a healthy model. Or as I often tell my students, constitutional government is like playground basketball. Right. Right? There's no referee in the end. Right? There's, there's only the players. And if you respect your opponent in the spirit of the game more than you care about winning every round, right. you can keep the game going, right? Like, I'm willing to accept that sometimes I lose. I'm willing to accept that sometimes the foul is on me, right? That keeps the game going. Once you're not willing to do that anymore, the game will break down. It's kind of, it's kind of over, right? Right. Uh, and no that is the risk that is run when we have something like a re- complete refusal by a political party to let the other party appoint judges and justices. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Richard Primus, constitutional law expert and professor at the University of Michigan Law School. That's a great point to end our conversation on. I want to thank you very much for joining us on Detroit Today. Glad to be here. Up next, we're going to talk about the role of civility in public discourse in 2018. And remember, we are asking you to read with us this summer. Search on Facebook for the Detroit Today Summer Book Club and join us as we read and discuss Matthew Desmond's book, Evicted, and talk about housing insecurity issues all over southeast Michigan. Stay with us on Detroit Today.